Okay. So the the title for uh, this sermon this morning is uh, The Call of the Impacted. The Call of the Impacted. Last week, I preached about the unfinished assignment, and as I concluded, I spoke of the assignment that Dr. King had conveyed to us. This morning, I'd like to continue that message because too often we take one day out of the year to remember the work of Dr. King in our sanctuaries, our concert halls, our auditoriums, and the next day it is business as usual. Churches seem to fall back into their daily routines, but I'm sure that is not the case here at Holy Covenant, right? But as I was preparing uh, the message for this morning, I kept feeling this tug that there was more to say about the Christian work we are called to do. I want to suggest that we look at justice work in the same light as we look at the Christian work that we do. As this is the third Sunday of Epiphany, I did read all of the scriptures several times, in fact, and began working with Corinthians text until I was directed to go back and read the Matthews text, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. And so thus, our scripture is coming from those very verses. I found some similarities from my message on last week, and thus here we are. So reading from the uh, common English um, translation, uh, the verse 16 says, the people who lived in the dark have seen a great light, and a light has come upon those who live in the region and in the shadows of death. A great light. Nonetheless, there are those who were in distress, won't be exhausted. This is coming from um, Isaiah. At an early time, God had cursed the land of Zebulon and the the land of Nephtali, but later he glorified the way of the sea, the far side of Jordan, and the Galilee of the nations. So the prophecy is being foretold. Verse 17 from the New Living Translation says, from that time Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Another translation states that from then on Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 18, we have the calling of the disciples. As Jesus walked along the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, throwing fishing nets in the sea. Because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw the other set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, repairing their nets, and Jesus called them, and they too came immediately. 
And what we also know, as this story carries out, that Jesus began to travel throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. As we step into the scene of the sermon, Holy Covenant, we are reminded that Jesus has been baptized by his cousin John, and shortly thereafter, Jesus denies the offer of the world dominance by Satan. What else could go wrong now? Paul, uh, what else could go wrong? His cousin is arrested on charges that he is an insurrectionist. You do know that that's why John uh, Paul, I'm sorry, why John was arrested. Unfortunately, John doesn't get the same outcome as those who attempted the insurrection here in our country in 2021. Jesus was born with a price on his head. He and his family had been on the run since his birth because King Herod was threatened by any male child being born at the time of Jesus. Jesus was, obvious, was an obvious threat, and anyone who spoke out against the government would find themselves in jeopardy of losing loved ones, possessions if they had any, and eventually their very lives. Jesus must have received a word of an impending threat on his life. So Jesus goes into hiding to collect his thoughts, and I dare say to hear from the divine as to what is my next move. Jesus was a threat to the status quo, the oppressive empire, and the religious elite who conspired with them to line their pockets with treasures, trinkets, and position. I pause for a moment to have us reflect on how our government is playing out in the same fashion. We have political and religious leaders selling their souls for power, position, and status. They are taking the pages out of the Roman Empire's playbook. The Roman government murdered, assassinated, and imprisoned the opposition that wanted change for a better quality of life. This is the focal point of our message today. Jesus came to change the world so that all would be able to benefit from the abundance that the divine has created for all of us. Jesus came to reconcile the world into a love relationship with each other and the Almighty. Jesus came bringing light to a dark, dreary, doubtful, and deadly existence. So often, as we read scripture and listen to some of our evangelical, the interpretation of the holy book, we are sidetracked or distracted from the real meaning of the scripture. But John and Jesus were on to something. They knew the community while bearing the burdens of living in poverty, experiencing sickness, not being housed. This way of living could not last forever. It could not continue. So John took a stand. It cost him his life. But John 
understood the assignment. Jesus recognizing the severity of the problem and the persistence by any means necessary to maintain, maintain control over the people, Jesus stepped into his prophetic call that was listed or spoken in Isaiah chapter nine, which states Jesus would bring light to a dark situation. What is that light? Jesus exposes the corruption, the devastation, the hypocrisy of the religious elite. The light Jesus brings is hope for a better way of living. The light that, th that is there a way that there is a way out of no way. Something that we as people of color know something about. There is a way out of no way. Jesus does something for us which can help us live our lives very courageously. He was not afraid to embrace the impacted. He advocated for the poor, the affirm, the outcast, and anyone that was a threat to the empire. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, nothing has really changed. We are the people of the past. However, the privileged then, like the privileged now, are not aware that we are all tied together in the great scheme of things. This appears to be an endless battle. When do we get it right? When do we read the scripture and understand that the message is not about what happens after we become ancestors, but it's about how we live in the present, in the moment? Our attention is verse 17. The common English Bible says, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. And the New, New Living Translation says it this way. I read it earlier, but I'm reading it now for us. Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent simply means to turn away from whatever behavior, lifestyle, or treatment that is detrimental to a better way of living. The Common English Bible makes it easier for us to grasp. The only way to defeat the ills of this world is by changing our hearts and our lives. In other words, do it differently such that it is a greater improvement to what was. Jesus sets the stage and puts change into motion. He begins his ministry first by recruiting what we may say are the ordinary, everyday folks who don't have a clue about what they're getting ready to get themselves into. But I want to argue that Jesus made the selection based on their current occupations. You see, as commercial fishers, what is needed to get the job done, these agrarian fishers, he recruit, his recruitment strategy is worth us looking into. 
He chose as an organizer, you have to have some skills. You have to be able to be observant. You have to have the skill of determination. You must be cooperative. You must have the spirit of enduring. You must be dependable. You must be re relational. You must be patient. And look at it as an adventure. Most of us, and most of all, we must be teachable. These fishers were used to long, hard hours of work. They knew how to wait. They were willing to gather information. If you know anything about fishing, and I am not a fisher person, but I've read the stories, seen the movies and all of that, when they cast those nets, fish are not just jumping in and say, oh, here are the nets, let us come in. <laughs> They're not doing that. So you know that it, you're going to have to wait for the fish to find their way into the nets. And being a fisher person, you got to learn how to follow instructions. So if you cast the net on the wrong side, you may not get the quantity or the fish that you're looking for. I think you have to be a trailblazer also. So there are many trailblazers for justice that were the met that used the method and the methodology of Jesus. Jesus recruited the people who were invested in their community with heart and soul. They understood risk while recognizing the outcome would not be an overnight one. Do you see this coming? Did you see this coming? It's amazing how the scriptures can open our minds to see more than just the names of the fishers and the fact that they dropped everything and followed Jesus. The backstory is that while they were considered to be at the bottom of the class group, they were at the heart of what was needed for the movement that Jesus was creating. The fishers were communal. They worked together as a team. They established what we would call today a co-op so that make sure that all the families would be fed. Because you know when they were fishing, they were not fishing for themselves. They were fishing for the government. And usually the government takes all that it needs first and leaves little behind. So they understood the assignment. They understood that after working long hours and whatever they caught, most of it went to the elite, what was left was barely enough to take care of their families. Jesus knew his ministry would take a special group. Now, while we are focusing on the men in this text, let's be clear that there were women in the movement, and that's a sermon for another time. This was an on-the-job training position now. Thus, they had to be observant as they watched their guiding light move throughout the countryside, healing all kinds of illnesses and sicknesses. Healing the people drew a crowd, which I am sure was uh, noticeable by the Roman Empire. Imagine, if you will, what sickness could look like today or looks like today. It looks like families not having enough to sustain their families in tough times. It looks like seniors having to choose between medication, buying medication, or paying their bills. It looks like persons experiencing mental health challenges, living in unbearable weather conditions, and I could go on and on, but you know where I'm going. 
the Galileans had finally found their guiding light. Some of us would call it their North Star. They found hope in the new possibilities that life could look very differently. They also had an advocate to challenge the Roman Empire and the religious elites. The Galileans had finally found their golden light, and I think I'm repeating that, so let me move forward. The light for us today is that Jesus left us a road map to follow. During the Civil Rights Movement, several leaders were using this model. They recruited people who were experiencing the problems that they wanted to see change. For many of our leaders, they were on both sides of the movement. Fannie Lou Hamer, Septimia Clark, Ella Baker, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Ida B. Wells, Zora Neale Hurston were impacted as well as leaders working for change. While working for changes in policies and laws, some of our black leaders continue to experience brutality and even death. Many of our activists worked hard to convey the message of change. James Baldwin said it this way in an article uh, written, what James Baldwin can teach us about race and identity. He says, he believed that, Ameri the, that American identity could be born anew, that's change, but only if Americans could come to terms with their history. This did not require shame, but unbounded love. Americans, or America, was spiritually cold, and it needed to be made warm. That's change that he's talking about. Dr. King preached about in his sermon, Transform Nonconformist, that only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in an humble and loving spirit. The transformed nonconformist, moreover, never yields to the passive sort of patience, which is an excuse to do nothing. That's change. Harriet Tubman reminded us of how we become so far removed from the struggles of life, it becomes unrecognizable. In other words, it requires change of minds and hearts. So I began with this notion of the light. When I think about the light, I think about what the light does. It exposes what we cannot see in the dark. Holy Covenant, are we living in darkness? Do we need a reminder that we are followers of Jesus? Jesus, do we need a reminder that we are followers of Jesus? Thus, should we be living light, shining brightness in a world while living in hope for the better? Holy Covenant, Jesus is the light that we as Christians must not shrink from. We are the new recruits, transforming our hearts and minds in nurturing the love of the divine. We are in this season of transforming lives. 
How do we do that? By standing up, by speaking out, and taking a risk to make the world one of justice and equality. We are light. Amen, amen, and amen. Let us pray. Gracious Holy One, we thank you for the light, the light that shines bright within this space, the light that shines within each and every one of us who are here. Let our light so shine that you, the divine, can be seen in us. Let it shine through whatever ways you call us to show up. Let us be patient to hear you. Let us be willing to be instructed by you. And let us be assured and affirmed that you are with us. Amen. <laughs>